This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I've got the privilege of interviewing Nate Boyer. Nate, how you doing, man? I'm pretty good. How you doing, Brett? I'm doing well. Doing well, man. You've got you've had quite the life, man. I always love talking to guys like you. Uh, if you're watching this, you can probably tell Nate was a, a former Green Beret, played football in the NFL, played uh, for Texas, played college football for Texas. So he's a Longhorn an actor. You climb Mount Kilimanjaro, man. You've done a lot of stuff. So I'm just excited to have you on the show today. So. Uh, like most of my shows, I always say, what's the backstory, man? You don't just wake up one day and decide to do all this stuff and get to the level you've gotten to. So maybe kind of go back as far as you want and what's made you the man you are today, Nate? Whew, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> I don't know exactly who the man is that I am today, first of all. I'm okay. trying to figure that out still. Um, that's a good point. <laughs> you know, that's a process. Uh, but and, and, and to speak on, you know, deciding to do all these things or figuring out like that, they kind of have, have come to me as the story's gone along. You know, uh, when I was young, when I was growing up and, and uh, you know, even through high school, like I was always a big sports fan, but yeah, uh, and, and a big dreamer, you know, I had these crazy lofty goals of playing football at some big school or playing in the NFL or, um, you know, the NBA or Major League Baseball, whatever it was. Uh, the, the funny part about that story or that part of the story anyway, is that I, I never even played, I never played football growing up because when I was super young, my mom didn't want me to play. And then as I got a little bit older, I just didn't have the confidence when I could, when I, if I wanted to play say in eighth grade, I was like, well, these kids have been playing since they were eight years old. Like I'm not going to catch up with them. So I didn't do it. And I regretted it. You know, wow. it stuck with me for, uh, I guess, 15 years before I finally decided to, to try and walk on to Texas. Um, after high school, I moved down to San Diego. So wait, if I can interrupt you real quick. Yeah, so yeah, you, you didn't play high school football even? No, no, no. I never played in my whole life until Texas. I mean, I played, you know, two hand touch or Turkey bowl on Thanksgiving day uh, with, with, you know, friends, family, whatever. That's but, incredible, man. You think about the sports world today, right? Where we got to have all these kids and all these sports and all this stuff. And now here's a guy that played at Texas, one of the biggest schools in the country. And then in the NFL and you never played high school football. That's mind blowing. That's because I long snap though. Like nobody wants to long snap. Parents <laughs> aren't sending their kids to sports camps to learn how to long snap. Right. So. You know, you got to find a thankless job that nobody wants to do. Right. And uh, you'll, like you'll, anybody at Texas want to be a long snapper. And the guy's like, yeah, sure. Anybody. I'll do it. Right. Anybody. anybody. Yeah. 
That's awesome. So that's what you did. So that's how you, then you walked on and, uh, and kind of got this, this bug and this dream and, and I'll let you continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. So, um, yeah, I worked all kinds of odd jobs in my, in my early twenties. And then when I was 20 years old, when nine 11 happened and that, that wasn't the reason I joined the military necessarily, but it kind of got me thinking about things a little more globally. And I started to travel a little bit. I would, I would work and save my money up. And then I would, you know, go backpack through, uh, Central America or Europe or something like that. And um, just try to get a sense of the world, I guess. And it uh, eventually led me to to the Darfur in, in, on the border of Chad and Sudan. And, and I did some relief work over there for just a couple of months, but it completely changed my life. I was at a kind of a, I guess, a breaking point. Hmm. Um, I was 23. I felt like nothing I did really made a much of a difference in the world, you know, maybe in my small community or my family or whatever, but not much. I, I felt like I was destined for something bigger and, and, and more impactful. And I just had this like adventurous spirit and this, you know, I, I don't know what I had. I don't know what I had going on. I was, I, we've all been 23. We know what that feels right, like. Right. And, uh, and so I just sort of, I just sort of took off. I went over there and did that. And the last week of my trip, I, I caught malaria. And uh, after I spent a couple of months with these people who had completely changed my life because they were so generous and, and open and, you know, enamored with the fact that a, uh, this idea that an American would leave what he had here to go over there and, and, and help them, even though I wasn't doing anything spectacular, man, I was playing soccer with the kids and assisting in the medical centers and helping big build tents in the campsite. I was just like a hired hand. I wasn't, <laughs> I didn't bring any special skills to the table. Um, well, not a hired hand, a volunteer hand, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, when I was, when I was laying up on that bed with malaria, I was listening to, uh, the BBC radio. It was the only station that they got. And the second battle of Fallujah was going on at that time. So I was listening to the play-by-play -play of these Marines that were going in there and, uh, you know, fighting for these people, trying to liberate these people. And I decided right then and there, I was going to join the military. When I came back to the States, I found out about the Army Special Forces, the Green Berets, and they had just opened a contract recently where you could come in off the street if you had um, at least a little bit of education, I think college education at the time. I think you had to be, or at least recommended at the time that you were 21 years old. You had to score um, certain test scores like psyche eval, uh, language aptitude tests, the, the Army ASVAB tests, and um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. If you, pay, if you, if you pass with a certain, you know, level, uh, and all those, um, and all those different tests, like you could at least get a, get an opportunity to go to selection, special forces selection after basic training yep. in airborne school. And so I did. And, uh, fortunately got through the training and earned my green beret and, you know, that that's what kind of sort of led me to the military, but I, I hadn't seriously, seriously thought about it. I mean, I thought about it a little bit in high school because I knew I wasn't going to go to college right away. And then I thought about it again after 9-11. But it wasn't until I think I had that boots on the ground experience in Africa that I, I knew that this was something that not only that I personally probably needed, but something that I really was ready to do and wanted to do. And I think that's pretty important no matter what you do in life that you really feel this is what you're supposed to be doing in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Finding that calling and that purpose. 
you know, you gotta, you gotta find that. And that's, and then, then you show up and you work and it doesn't feel like work. Yeah. So, right. Which is a big deal. So talk to us about the, uh, the green beret training, man. What was that like? I mean, I'm sure that was, uh, very intense physically and emotionally and mentally. So talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. It's, it's basically exactly like the Navy SEAL training, just a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I like it. Uh, all of our Navy SEAL friends, you know, that, <laughs> well, I won't even go there. What one of the guys said on the podcast once, but um, that's good. Yeah. You know, it's uh, the course special forces uh, qualification course is about a year and a half long ish, depending on your job. And depending on a variety of things, and there's different phases throughout. And I think the common theme, common thread is we work a lot as individuals. Like we do have to be not only self-starter, starters, self-motivated, um, you know, capable to think outside the box and do something on our own. We have to be. It's a next level of team player because often on a deployment, for instance, you're over there for nine months with 11 other guys, you know, in confined mm. spaces. <laughs> right. And you all have big personalities, a lot of type A and you're, you're, uh, you push and you have, you know, we're stubborn and we always think our way is the best way, the only way. And you have to learn to let that go a little bit. And being part of a team doesn't necessarily mean that you're everybody's equal all the time. Like sometimes you have to take a back seat and just follow. And, and that's, that's sort of a tough thing to do. I think it's, I think it's right. less tough when you're just mentally exhausted and you want to just coast a little bit, but when you think you've got the best way to skin the cat, you know, and you've got 11 other people with their ideas of how you should skin that cat, it can be really challenging. So that's the biggest thing throughout that year and a half is, is how do you, how can you work with these other people under extreme circumstances? Because you're always hungry, tired, um, beat up, um, just done, you know, every day, yeah. every day when you're in the field anyway, like a little piece of you kind of wants to quit. Right. <laughs> Not because you though to think about the, from yeah. the business side too, what you talked about there is that I would call that culture, right? Mm -hmm. That teamwork, that culture is I've got the best personality, my way to skin the cats better than your way. But yet sometimes, like you said, you got to fall in line and, and just and just deal with it. Right. So how, how did you just deal with it sometimes when even though you thought your yours was the best way? How did you maybe put that in the back seat and not worry about it so much? It's not easy because, I mean, I think swallowing your pride is one of the hardest things to do. And I'll tell you that. Uh, personally, it's very hard for me because I'm very prideful. Yeah, <laughs> I wish I wasn't, but I am like I, I and, and I genuinely do think that I know what's best a lot of the time. And that's, you know, that's not fair, but, but I do think that way. I do feel that way. And to, to be able to, or at least be willing to just, you know, bite your tongue and, and, uh, and say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And just go do it. Uh, it. It's a tough thing. And I think that comes from speaking of culture, it comes from the way that I was raised. I had two really smart, capable, hardworking, you know, blue collar parents that did it all themselves pretty much. I mean, yeah. they, 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 they didn't, uh, they, they, they did a lot and they put a lot into, they sacrificed a lot to get to that levels that they were at yeah. and it wasn't always easy. And, you know, we didn't have much at the beginning, uh, for a long time actually, but they just kept working, kept working, kept working and believing in themselves. 
and then they get to a certain place and it's like other people come in and try to tell you you should do something this way or that way in a different way and you're like no 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 no. i got to where i got because of the way that i did it you know the way that i did things and that's why i got here so i know and so i have that i have a piece of that and it started i think there um in in the special forces because you gain that confidence and self-belief which is important but also you have to balance that uh, with diplomacy, you know, right. I mean, they call they call us warrior diplomats, whether you're in the army special forces, you're a Navy SEAL, whatever it is, anybody in the military at this point, actually, because we work so much with partner forces, you know, we're, we're fighting alongside Afghans and Iraqis. Yep. Um, it's not like we're at war against Iraq or against Afghanistan. It's not what we're doing. So, you know, that, uh, that pride swallowing is a, is a, is a big piece of that. And it starts, it starts with the training, um, and, and yeah, it's all about, it's all about that balance of, 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 yeah. of knowing that you are, you could do this on your own if you had to, but it's maybe not the best way to do. Yeah. Talk to us about, um, kind of switching channels a little bit here, but it is that self-defeating thinking. I always talk about, you know, we've got this person over here that says, yeah, Nate, you can run through a brick wall. And then maybe you've got the person on this shoulder that says, no, you can't run through a brick wall. You don't want to do that. You can't make the NFL. You can't do this. You can't do that. Did you struggle much with that? And if so, how do you get through that? And how can you help people through that? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I still do all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think when you talk about walls in life, like it is important to understand and maybe sometimes take a moment, take a breath. Like I don't have to run through this wall right now, you know? I also don't have to sit here and tell myself it's impossible and beat myself up, but maybe I should look at this wall in a different way. Maybe I should ask some other people around me, Hey, what do you think I should do? What do you, how, how would you, how would you traverse this situation? Maybe one of them was like, dude, there's a door like right over there. Just go through the door <laughs> right. or whatever it is. I don't know. But like, um, I, I think, I think what's really important, like, like we're, we live in a really innovative time. And so doing things the way they've always been done may not serve us best anymore. Mm. You know, we need to continue to adapt and change, especially now, I think when we live in a world that is losing, um, is losing a lot of connectivity. And I don't say obviously not digital connectivity, but just like maybe the traditional form of, you know, especially this year, this last yeah. year, of sitting down face to face, like listening to somebody, looking in the, looking them in their eyes, shaking their hand, um, spending time with them, you know, not being like, not living your life in five minute intervals and, you know, just kind of bouncing around, but just taking a breath. And I'm the biggest violator of it. Like I'm terrible. Uh, but I, but I'm trying to recognize and be cognizant of it, trying to do better. And I think, uh, I think that, that that's, that's super important. So, um, uh, understanding that like, yeah, we're adapting and changing and growing as a society, but also like we need to, in my opinion, we need to hold on to um, and get back to uh, being, being personable, you know, and yep. being uh, vulnerable and like open with other people and, and being very raw and real. What we always see on, on TV and, and on social media or whatever it is, it's not really how people are. It's like usually, usually not always, usually the best version of themselves you know, we get in our heads about that, think that we're not good enough anymore. And it's just not true. But to get back to your question, because I'm kind of going off track here, big time. <laughs> uh, 
I think just assessing, assessing every situation, giving it a little bit of time, not feeling, I think we live in this world where we feel very rushed. Like we have to make a decision right now, jump yeah. on it or it's going to go away. It's going to disappear. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think, uh, I think those that, that, that take a moment, maybe ask for help, willing to ask for help or research uh, and, and really think about something uh, deeper yep. and, and spend that time, you know, they find the best ways to, uh, to scale that wall or to, run through that wall or to go around that wall or to turn around and walk away from that wall, you know? Yeah. So what's your plan now? I know a lot of guys in the military and we've talked about, you know, you know, you're very clear on what the path is in the military. So in the business world, it's like, yeah, you may have this goal and I'm just going to just go down this path and we'll see what happens. Well, when we're in war and we're fighting for, you know, our freedom and you're fighting for your own life, right. Is, you're very clear on what the, the direction is, where we're going, why we're going, what you're going to do. So how does that, how do you take that learning and then apply that to the world today, whether it's, you know, making a movie or if it's, you know, being in the business world, how do you apply that today to make those things happen to the best of your ability? Well, I don't, I don't think anything's that simple anyway. Um, you know, I, I think that that's, yeah. I think the biggest thing for me, is is not sometimes not over overthinking things or maybe i should say overanalyzing things in the sense of um letting things get to a point where i do get in my own head i start to doubt myself uh, i start to i start to think that i'm not good enough and i'm not the right person for this job and i mean we all have that imposter syndrome or whatever they call it yeah. you know we have those moments in our life where we feel I've had tons of them. I have them all the time where I'm like, what am, who am I? Like, what am I doing? I have no idea what I'm doing. And people think that I've got this all figured out and they think that I'm super confident and, and I'm just not all the time. Um, Which I think is so great to share. Sorry to interrupt, but I think it's so healthy to share that. Right. And to be vulnerable and be transparent with that. Because again, you see green beret football player that's, you know, macho man, right? I can't, I can't have it all. I, I got to have it all figured out, but to admit that you don't, I think that's part of the path, isn't it? I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> There's the answer. I honestly don't, I honestly don't know. I wish I knew, but maybe, maybe, maybe it is. I mean, it, it's, uh, I always go back to this idea. It's not really an idea. It's a fact that we're all dying. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, every day I'm dying. You know, yeah, it's ending. It's ending. And so I, I just don't want to be that person who is incapable one day of doing those things I really wanted to do, or at least trying them, even if I fail. I don't want to be that person that didn't go for it and didn't at least attempt. Um, because I know that'll bother me more than any failure. That'll yeah. bother me way more. You know, that the fear of regret outweighs all these other fears, at least with me. Um, I, I think, and that's not just a today thing. I think that's an always thing. People are uh, very afraid of looking stupid. Yep. Um, very afraid of what other people will think when they do fail. Cause we're all, if you do try something truly challenging, truly difficult, you're going to fail. Like at some point you're going to lose. Uh, you should lose. I mean, it's part of it, but nobody wants, to, nobody wants to everybody. I don't know about everybody, but most people I know, like we want to win. Right. Even if it's just an, an argument, like we want to win, it feels good to win. And, uh, but, but I think that the, the, the people that are the most, uh, 
quote unquote, I guess, successful uh, are the ones who are willing to or accept losing, not as the end all, but just as part of that victory, I guess. And so, um, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's like, and, and I've been in this place this last year where even though I, I know I did a lot of stuff this year in the midst of all the, the COVID, I still feel like I should have done more. I could have done more. And I'm kind of in a stuck place right now where I'm a little bit nervous about investing time in something that may never look the same again, if that makes sense, because yeah, of the totally. changing. so part of me wants to sort of pause, but at the same time, I can't because I'm dying. Yeah, <laughs> not, right, really, right. not like, well, they I'm say that's sick, the biggest regret, sick, but you know, I might die in 50 years, but like still, right. Uh, you're still dying. Still dying. So there's, there's a, that, that internal clock is ticking and I'm like, man, I have to, I have to do this thing and that thing. I've always wanted to do that. And I need to, if I really want to be on this track, I'm not a big person on like five-year plan, 10-year plan kind of thing. I'm like, because I think you can always do those things quicker. So I don't want to limit myself by making, that's just me. But you probably have a bunch of ideas bouncing around in that head, right? So there's, I want to do this, or I want to do that. I want to do this. I want to do that. How how do you prioritize? What's your system to prioritize that make this one more important than that one and not chase the next shiny object? I think a big part of that for me is staying open. And I always, I say, listening to the universe. Because whatever it is for you, some people it's, you know, a, a religious type of faith. Some people it's something else. Right. Um, but I, I do believe that if you continue to, if you're continually searching and um, putting yourself out there, I think that, that uh, signs do pop up. And I think you sort of get, um, the, the path lays itself out and, and you sort of get, ushered down that path yeah and if it's a path that you don't like you still have the choice to get off that path you absolutely do uh it might be challenging it might be difficult i'm not saying it's easy but like you can uh, but at the same time if it feels right and it feels uh like something that you really want and, and it's authentic and genuine it's who you are and it's who you want to be i think that those things do present themselves if you're out there looking for them and you're out there actually putting in work towards something um and it might not be, it, oftentimes it's totally different than that list I had or whatever. It's something else that pops, something new that I didn't even know was a thing or something I never thought I would do. Like I never thought, I told you before we jumped on here, I, uh, this year I, I directed a movie and I, have no, I had no idea what I was doing. Like, uh, very, not no idea, but very little idea. You're learning as you go. But yeah. And I never thought growing up that was, would be something I would do. I never thought growing up I would do anything and in entertainment. Like I just didn't, that wasn't a thought. Um, but once I was doing it as challenging as it was and as heartbreaking as it was, and, um, as big as it felt bigger than me, it still felt, uh, I felt so alive in those moments, like doing that stuff because the story was really important to me. Um, it was a great challenge. And uh, it was something that most people will never get an opportunity to do. Right. Uh, and I worked really hard to get that chance, even though I was almost, I felt so lost in the middle of it. Um, that was like, that was just, that was the universe. You know, those were the, the signs led me in that direction. And I tried to fight it so many times and, and, and do something else or do something similar to that. 
but it kept popping up in my face and, and in front of me for whatever reason that like, no, you need to do this. You need to lead this charge. You need to be this guy. And if it sucks, like who cares? Just do it. Try it, you know? And it's like, well, somebody's going to care because somebody gave me a little bit of money to make it, but you sure. Know. That, <laughs> that man or woman may care. Very little. <laughs> That's right. Right. But I think it's so part of the circuits, you know, we have attitude, you know, belief actions ultimately get your results. That's what the circuits of success are. And so I a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, this podcast is a great example is I was sitting at home, you know, this is gosh, four and four and a half years ago. And I thought to myself, I, I could do a podcast. You know, I listened to him. I'm like, I think I could do this. And yeah. I texted about nine buddies that I would want to have, you know, whether they're an athlete or an author or whatever it may be. I'm thinking these guys would be on it. We'll see. They responded back. Yeah. You want to do it next week? And I'm like, holy crap. I have no idea how to do a podcast, but I booked them for a month out. Right. And that gave me the time frame to say, okay, I've got a month to figure it out. Yeah. And now you're the 211th person I've been had the pleasure to interview that this came from an idea sitting on my couch on a Tuesday before Christmas in 2016. And if you don't take action and then book it, in my opinion, nothing's going to happen. It's going to stay up here in your head. Then your head's going to tell you, oh, this is all the reasons, Brett, you shouldn't do that. Who am I? You can't do a podcast, blah, 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 blah. Right. And that's just one example uh, from so many things. I think, I mean, and what if you only made 11 of them and it just wasn't working out? Like, so, so what? Maybe somebody, maybe somebody's going to be like, aha, loser. Like (laughs) that person is probably doing nothing. Right. (laughs) Not trying. Exactly right. Who cares? They're dying too, man. You know what I mean? Like who cares? The, 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 the people that are actually out there doing what you're doing and just trying are, at least in my experience, rarely the people that give a damn if something fails. You know what I mean? They're like, well, at least that guy went for it. I mean, wasn't for him. And maybe it led him to something else that was better for him or whatever. But at least he tried something and, you know, put his, you know, put his neck out there and just kind of went for it. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the most important thing. It's the hardest part of it. But once you do that, uh, and I'm sure like now at this point, you look back and you're like, wow, I really didn't know anything. Nothing. Uh, and it's like now that, you know, you've done I still don't. Of them, I'm sure you have. Yeah. But you, you have much more of a, you've probably learned way more than you ever thought yeah. was even to learn in that, you know, doing, doing a podcast or interviewing somebody or having a conversation like this, that's going to be aired. And it's like, you, you would never know unless you did it. You know, it's just that, that work experience is invaluable. You can't learn it in the schoolhouse. You can't read it in a book. You just have to do it. You got to do it. Got to take action. So I read somewhere you said today we deal with yesterday, tomorrow. <laughs> What's that mean to you? I don't know. You're like, I don't know. I just joke. said it one time and now I don't even know where the hell I said it. No, it, I did. It was, it was kind of a joke. Uh, it was actually like an inside joke with a buddy of mine. Um, That's funny. <laughs> That's so funny you brought that up. Of all the uh, things, right? I bring up. <laughs> yeah, of all the things. Right. Um, today we do, I'm going to try to break it down right now because I don't even know. You're like, uh, next question. Yeah. Next question. (laughs) Well, let's, let's do that. We'll go to the next question. So, um, we talked about self-defeating thinking, but how about in the moment, man? Do you, do you struggle within the moment? Cause you're always thinking about that next thing. And if so, how do you try to be where your feet are at and be in that moment? I super struggle with that. I'm a big, a lot of people dwell in the past and I'm a big, uh, you know, I guess you'd call it anxiety about the future guy. Yeah. I'm with um, it's you. Not, it's not like crippling anxiety or anything like that, but 
and, and there's nothing wrong with thinking about the future. Of course, you want to like, you want to visualize your path. Yep. But if you're always visualizing that path, you're not walking on the one <laughs> that is in front of you. And that's one of my biggest struggles. I'm really bad at that. And uh, I, I, I think that's a common thing. I think it, it must be, you know, I think, I think it probably is with people that at least strive to be successful. I think a lot of people that are maybe stuck in the past um, and can't get over those things, uh, they may, they may, maybe the, the complete opposite, you know, that may be people that there's often people that are looking for um, something to blame as to why things didn't work out for them. So they, yeah. they, they keep looking back there. Um, and that's okay too. Like that's a very human thing. Um, but for me, it's more about, it's more about this, this worry that, um, I'm going to pick the wrong path. I'm going to do the wrong thing. Takes me down the wrong, I'm going to waste time. I'm going to waste somebody else's time. I'm going to waste my own time. I'm not going to be, uh, this optimal, uh, I'm not going to live this optimal productive life where it's like everything I did was the right, not only I had the right intention behind it, but it was the, the right choice. And I mean, there is no right choice in reality, yeah. um, but I have that, that, that fear and it, and it does like, and I have that, that worry and it does kind of consume me at times. And I've, I've tr I'm trying to be better about that, um, especially in the last few months, which is a recent thing. I mean, I'm 40 years old now uh, and I'm finally like trying to, trying to to just not only like enjoy where you're at but just be okay with where i'm at even if it sucks yep. <laughs> just like just live in that for a little bit and understand that there's value in that too even when you feel like absolute crap and and worthless and you know all these stupid things that are just not true that we tell ourselves like yeah. we do it sucks um, does it it does suck but it's <laughs> like but it's part of the path it is part of the path like we all say that to, we say it to our kids, you know, there's, there's, there's no darkness without, without, or there's no light without darkness. There's no, yep. um, there's no success without failure. There's no greatness without a great obstacle or whatever the, you know, we understand these things. We just forget them with ourselves when you're in it. Uh, when you're feeling it, you know, you're blinded by it in some way, just like love or whatever it is. And you don't think clearly when you're outside of it, it's so easy to assess when you're looking at somebody else's life and their situation. Yeah. I found that, and I'm not perfect at it either. That's why, hence why I asked the question, right? I'm looking for the nugget. And, and again, nobody's ever going to have the nugget that just fixes that in my opinion, but I have found the more I can put my phone away or mm -hmm. when I walk into a situation, maybe it's walking home from work, right? Getting into, from the garage into the, into the house. It's kind of just saying, you know what? I'm thankful for what I'm getting ready to walk into. Right. I'm, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for these kids and go put the phone away and try to be in that moment. That has really helped me because, with, you know, with four kids and life, it just it gets crazy. Right. And you've got to have, in my opinion, you got to have a trigger or a switch that you've got to be able to hit to put you in that moment of, OK, go be the best dad, the best husband I can be and be thankful for that. Right. Right. So. Yep. Um, so this, uh, hopefully this isn't too controversial. So I saw on your post, uh, you, you probably know where I'm going because I asked for permission if we could talk about this, but Colin Kaepernick, right? We're not here to talk political. We're not here to talk my side, your side, his side, anybody's side, right? So I want to get an understanding of that. Everybody knows the backstory behind that. Colin Kaepernick, kind of the first guy that knelt during the national anthem. 
I saw a picture. You happen to be the guy standing right by him. Uh, talk us through that, man. Let's have a conversation about that. Yeah. Um, I think what's important there, just like you said, you sort of alluded to is it, it's uh, and it's something that I learned a lot of that in the army. I learned a lot of that from various travels and sitting down and talking to people, listening to people, learning with people, just being with people that think differently than me, you know, have a different, uh, different life experience, different background, different cultures and customs that um, you can accept without agreeing with, if that makes sense. And, Absolutely. and it's not that Colin Kaepernick's culture and customs and even background differs a ton from me. It's just that, you know, we, we've have, we've, we've lived different life experiences, obviously um, because of the way that we look and what we do and, and who, what we've said and who we are, um, people treat us, people are going to treat us differently and the world is going to treat us differently. We're going to, you know, we're going to be seen by the world differently. And, you know, long story short, um, at that time in 2000, that was in 2016, uh, right around the election. Um, and it was back when it was, you know, Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. And it was a, a very divisive election as was uh, this year, at least it felt like. Sure. Um, and, you know, it, it was a, it was a time where, well, it is a time <laughs> where people aren't really willing to, to, to listen. And, and I think a lot of it because of social media, um, because everybody um, can have almost an equal voice, which isn't a bad thing. Um, you get a lot of people who are very angry or not even who are very angry. They just like to incite um, who would, who, who, you know, who say things online, who, who, who lash out, who they want to get people fired up and angry and, and hurt. And, yeah. uh, and it, and it just like, you know, everyone's looking for a reaction. They want to like, they want to affect something. And, and it just didn't, it didn't feel very good. It wasn't very healthy. And, and then when Colin started sitting on the bench, um, you know, in, in protest really of, of social injustice, police brutality specifically, and the lack of accountability in some of these departments, um, which is an understandable thing, people didn't care about that. And it was more about his choice to not stand during the national anthem, um, which hurt hurt me because of those symbols mean something very different to me because of my experience. But also, like what, what was more important to me was like, okay, why is he doing this though? Why there's got to be something more than just he doesn't just well, at least in my opinion, he doesn't just hate America. And maybe it helps sure. that I played football and I've been in those locker rooms and the conversations in those locker rooms, and they're often. Uh, very nuanced and people have all kinds of opinions and man, guys will be at each other's throats about stuff. But then we go on the football field and they're able to put that stuff aside for the most part sure. and do what they can for the man on their left and right to be successful. And the same thing in the military. And I think that those two, the, the football locker room, or not just football, a, a, a locker room and a team room in the military can be yeah. very, are very, very similar. Um, and, and it, and it comes from going through challenging stuff together, you know, um, overcoming together, uh, you know, honestly beating each other up a little bit, uh, and, and, uh, and just 
sacrifice and for the team in some ways. Yeah. Uh, you, you earn that respect, you gain that respect, and uh, you, you you give that respect to, to people that do the same thing as you. And so, you know, when, when he started doing that and he had done an interview after that, I think the first time it was, it become news, he did an interview in, in a locker room about uh, his, uh, about his protest. And it was an 18 minute interview and you only heard a soundbite here and a soundbite there, yeah. you know, the most uh, divisive pieces of that were sort of taken and it depend, depended on what, which, uh, I guess, news agency was uh, spinning it, but it was you know, very different, painted very different pictures. And um, me, I grew up a 49ers fan. I'm from the Bay Area and I wanted to, um, I wanted to be a 49er when I was a little kid. And Kaepernick was, you know, the, the quarterback of my team. Right. He took us to the Super Bowl. Right. And we, we'd been really bad for a long time. And so I supported this guy. You know, I, I really pulled for this guy. And it like my I had an initial reaction too that wasn't fair just because of something I saw. I was just like, I didn't really listen. I just I saw what he had done and I I read a headline or heard a soundbite and I made a decision about who he was as a man, which isn't fair. So I took a step back and I went back and listened to the interview and then wrote this open letter through the Army Times that was just explaining my experience and my situation and why I feel the way that I feel. But also, I guess, admitting that it was unfair to, to feel a certain way about, about him without really understanding or really knowing. And at the end of the day, when we take the oath to defend the Constitution, uh, excuse me, when we take the oath to join the military, it is to defend the Constitution and the First Amendment, you know, uh, and all the amendments. I mean, that's what we're doing. So I don't have to agree with what you're saying, but I should and I fought for your right to do what you're doing. I should respect that in, in my opinion. Yeah. So I wrote this letter. He ended up reaching out and wanting to meet. And we sat down uh, the next day down in San Diego. They were playing the Chargers in their final preseason game. And uh, it was military appreciation night. You know, all these things were going on. And uh, we sat in the lobby of the team hotel for a couple hours and just talked about why he was doing what he was doing. We talked about our backgrounds and he had a ton of respect for me and uh you know treated me like i was just just as important as what he was doing and wanted to make sure that at least as far from where i stood um it, it wasn't offensive to people in the military and i told him like no matter what you do like some people are going to be offended we're just as diverse of a microcosm really? as anything in the country but uh he asked me if there was a, a another way that i thought he could demonstrate that wouldn't offend people. And I said, no, but I told him to me, if you if you're willing to adjust and change in some way and you're committed to not standing, which he was very committed to do to doing, I, I thought being alongside his teammates was the most important thing. And uh, he was sort of sitting back isolated on the bench at the time. And the only thing that made sense to me was maybe to, if you're not going to stand, maybe take a knee next to them. And uh, at least be, you know, shoulder to shoulder with them. You're going to go out on the field with those guys. Yeah. Um, and he thought that was a good idea. He actually thought it was more powerful than sitting. And uh, so he took a knee that night on the sideline and I stood next to him. And that's where the, that's where the kneeling really started. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that, man. I know that's probably not an easy topic to chat about. So to be vulnerable with that. Greatly appreciate that. And I think, you know, what I hear from that is here's two people that can have two, totally different views 
of of this thing, right? This thing happened to be the flag. He was talking about injustice, right? And so you, but you can come together and have a two hour conversation and stand next to each other that night on a football field during the national anthem and still probably disagree, but yet be okay with each other and being able to say hello. And I think in my opinion, again, we're not getting political here, but as we need more of that in this, in this country, right? Of It doesn't have to be zero to a hundred. It can be somewhere in the middle. And that, that's what I hope that people can hear from this story and, and hear from other things. We don't have to agree with it. Let's respect each other and, and let's, let's be on the same teams. At the end of the day, like you said, man, we're all dying, right? At the end of the day, we all end up at the same spot, hopefully. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. That's the hope, man. Uh, well, thanks so much for sharing that, Nate. And uh, let's, let's real quick, because I know we've taken a lot of time, but let's talk about your MVP charity. I know you directed this first movie and it kind of ties into that, but let's talk about the MVP charity. Yeah, Merging Vets and Players. Uh, we, we bring together uh, combat vets and former professional athletes and help them find purpose and uh, their identity again when that uniform comes off. Um, Jay Glazer and I co-founded it back in 2015. And it was right after, you know, I'd been released from the Seahawks uh, earlier that year. I finally transitioned out of the military completely. And it was like, all of a sudden I had no team, you know, mm. I'd always, I'd, I was so, I'd grown so accustomed to having a team since I was, you know, I don't know, 23. I mean, the last 12 years of my life. Was sure. like, was so no time. Jersey, no camo, no, no. Yeah. And very elite teams that like, you feel like this is who you are because it's, yeah. it's not just. I got practice on Tuesdays and Thursdays and play on Saturdays or something, which is nothing wrong with that. But that's that's a little bit different when you're growing up versus um, I'm getting up in the in the morning with an intentionality to like prepare for um, next season or the next game or practice later today. And all these, you know, everything that you do, same with the military. It's like whether you're on a deployment yeah. or not, like everything revolves around that. And all of a sudden you're in your twenties and thirties and it's just gone, you know, and you feel like you've peaked and you'll never be great again. And you got a lot of life to live. And that's just, that's kind of a scary feeling. There's not a lot of professions like that. Um, and so it's been really cool. We're in five cities so far. We're in Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Chicago, Atlanta, and New York. Uh, we're about to open in Dallas and Seattle very soon. Um, COVID obviously started our growth a little bit. Sure. Um, but we grew in different ways. You know, we, we, we jumped on Zoom and we're able to um, we're able to, to reach people uh, that we never would have been able to reach before that were outside our coverage zones. Sure. Um, and, and that's been really that's been really incredible. So uh, vetsandplayers.org is the website. Um, and uh, and yeah, we, I mean, we meet up weekly and what we do pre-COVID and what we will do post-COVID is we'll, we'll meet up at a gym at a fight gym and we'll. We'll train for, you know, 30, 45 minutes, uh, nothing crazy, but enough to get that sweat going and uh, sort of, you know, get that, get that practice feeling before we transition to the locker room. Cause after that we, we hang out on the wrestling mats and we just, it's an open forum. We just talk about stuff. You know, we encourage vulnerability. We want people to like leave it all out on the mat. And you got something you're going through right now. It doesn't have to be combat related or sports related in any way. Um, you know, we just want to be there for one another because we we miss that locker room. We need that locker room, yep. and uh, and that's what we're trying to provide. Well, but awesome. yeah, the movie, the movie that that I, that I did direct it was uh, the working title is MVP. I don't know where else making ultimately going to call it, but it was about the genesis of that. It's essentially about a a marine who was living in a homeless shelter in East Hollywood and an NFL player who was living in a really nice house in West Hollywood, 
Hmm. And these two guys, um, but the, the NFL players, his first year out of the league, the Marines been out of the military for a few years, um, but they've, they've lost that team. You know, they, they, um, they're going through the same thing, even though on paper, they have nothing in common, you know, from skin wow. color to family dynamics, to ec- economics, to uh, backgrounds, to beliefs, nothing. But they're going through that same stuff. And when they, when they connect and, and understand that they can help each other, they can save each other, uh, it ends up saving themselves as well. That's awesome. So, and that, we don't know when that'll be out yet, right? No, <laughs> we don't. Uh, hopefully, hopefully sometime in 2021. Uh, but we'll see. It's the, the post-production process is uh, an arduous one, especially now with COVID and, and, uh, and the lack of, uh, well, not the lack of, I guess, just the budgetary limitations uh, sure. that I have. <laughs> right. But it's really special. It's really cool. I mean, we had people like Michael Strahan and Randy Couture and Howie Long and Jay Glazer and um, Tom Arnold, uh, Tony Gonzalez. These guys are in the wow. movie. They like, gave their time to be in this thing and be a part That's of it. That's awesome. Yeah. So That's awesome. A lot of good going on out there, man. So, Nate, thanks for uh, being on the Circuit of Success. Where can we uh, send listeners? Obviously, you said vetsandplayers.org. Uh, but where can our listeners find more of uh, Nate Boyer? Uh, NateBoyer.com. I do have a website, but also at NateBoyer37, uh, which was my college number, on uh, social media. Awesome, man. Well, thanks so much for being with us. Appreciate all the wisdom you shared today. Thank you, Brad. Appreciate you, man. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.